0: Thanks for joining the Church at Nolansville Sermon Podcast. We exist to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Anytime, anywhere, with anybody. This is an honor and a privilege to get to serve our congregation, our church body this way. I'm a word guy. Now specifically what I mean by that is I, I don't work at the Church at Nolansville. I'm not on staff. I'm just a volunteer leader like many of you, and uh, my full-time job is to work for a Christian book publisher. I'm a a bookman by day, meaning that I uh, work for a team that works with authors who send us words, which we shape and edit and combine in different combinations, and at the end of the process, we spit out a book. So it's fair to say that I love words. I'm a word nerd. And this is the first Sunday in our church uh, in Advent. And Advent is one of those words where you hear it a lot this time of year. And there's a lot of people in this room who their secret is they have no idea what that word means. And that's that's actually because Advent is such a strong word. We think we we should know what it means because we hear it so often. But Advent means something very, very specific. There are not a lot of Synonyms for Advent because Advent means Advent in English. And those are my favorite kinds of words. Now, when we use Advent in the context of the church calendar, what we mean is both coming or has come. And so, obviously, at Christmas time when we say Advent, we're usually talking about the birth of Jesus or his first coming. But we as the church are also waiting for his second coming or the second. Advent. Now, another word I would use to describe this season is a word that I would use to describe the passage that we're going to study this morning. So, if you have your Bible, go ahead and find it. We're going to be in uh, the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter. If you don't have a Bible, you probably do have a cell phone that is connected to the internet, and that has the Bible too. So, find Luke chapter 1 because we're going to be doing Bible study this morning. Now, <coughs> anticipation. This is a word that we use a lot also this time of year. And starting in July, for example, some of you anticipated the coming uh, Christmas season. Even then, listening to Christmas songs early. That is a sin. That's one of the things that I came here to say today. Others of you anticipate the Christmas season by decorating your yard early before Thanksgiving. Also a sin. I realize the calendar's funky this year too, so don't come after me after the service. But I would say one of the main ways that um, we as a culture anticipate the Christmas season is actually led by our children. And that is the ritual of the Christmas list. How many of you have already gotten a little sheet of paper with like a numbered list of, yeah, raise them high, be proud, be proud of those lists. Man, they're getting out of hand. Unreasonable demands. They look like kind of a hostage negotiation list. And um, my kids are here today. So kids, uh, I know you haven't given me a list yet. Don't bother. I've already decided um, what you get. (laughs) Anticipation. Uh, I'm going to tell you a humiliating story about myself that shows you um, how anticipation worked in my life, Christmas at a young age. Um, it's a really poor example of my character, but um, I'm going to tell you it anyway. I, I will admit that at a young age, I had to learn lessons about Christmas gift expectations the hard way. Now, this particular Christmas, I decided that the universe owed me a remote-control car. And every day, I was thinking about what it might look like for me to drive my own remote-control car. And so I'd stare out on the street at all the other kids playing with their cars... And I would think to myself, self, I will see you kids three weeks from now on the streets. Anticipation. The day came when we would drive from South Nashville to Madison, Inglewood, if you know East Nashville. Um, and I was anticipating this thing that was about to happen. There was such a buildup that I was starting to get Nervous, And you know that feeling. It's that feeling when everything inside of you is confused and disoriented. That is anticipation. As was my religion at the time. When the universe owes you something, like a remote-controlled car, you are entitled to have it. And therefore, when I went to Mima's house, when I unwrapped the wrapping paper... With, with labeled with my name on it, what I expected to find was not only a remote-controlled car, I expected to find an even greater remote-controlled car than any other kid on my street um, had themselves. And instead, in a moment that seared into my Grinch-shaped heart for all time, what I found was a trash can full of popcorn and a shirt from Kastner Knott's. Now, what happened next is not anything that I'm proud of. In a flash of an instant I could, that I can never go back again and correct, words kind of slipped out of my mouth. And you know how they, when they slip out, like you want to grab them and bring them back? And it's too late. The words came out, is this a joke? Where are my real presents? Now, before you judge me, if you would have gotten a trash can full of popcorn and like church clothes for Christmas when you were expecting... Um, a remote control car. Even if you didn't say what I said, you would have been thinking it too. So don't get all judgy at church. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know every action that ensued after this. But suffice to say that my mother chased me, caught me, and made sure I would never be that ungrateful again. And Meemaw was really nice. She waited about 25 years and told my in-laws at a wedding shower this whole story. So now you guys know, too, that anticipation can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. It just depends on the context. But I think it's the right word for this passage in the gospel of Luke. Um, It's our custom at the church um, that we stand when we read God's word. So let's stand together and honor the reading of his word. It's going to be Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. This is what... God says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary and the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Let's pray. Lord, trouble our hearts with the power of your word. Wreck our dreams with your dreams, with better dreams, and send your spirit to open our hearts and our minds and our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, you can have a seat. As I said before, we're going to do Bible study this morning. So you're going to need your Bibles open in your lap because we're going to be going uh, right around back to the text, over and over again. And I want to outline how are we going to approach the text of Scripture this morning. Now, you guys may remember weeks ago, we had a Sunday called Vision Sunday. And we heard from Pastor Mike Glenn, and he outlined a few very clear, very simple ideas that will guide our future in 2020. One of those ideas was that we would rediscover the Bible together. What does he mean, rediscover? Well, we can't assume the Bible in 2019. Not among the unchurched, nor among the churched. Not among the Christians or the lost and the seeking. Research from Lifeway and the American Bible Society shows verifiably that we know less about the Bible in America today than we did in generations past. Inside the church and outside the church. So, no... We cannot, we cannot afford to kid ourselves. We as a church do not know the Bible as much as we pretend to know it. So we have to rediscover it. If we're going to be a church that exists for the sake of others, if we're going to be any good for ourselves, we must get serious about God's word. We must know it. We must meditate on it. We must go to it, especially when it contrasts with the perspective of the culture. So we're going to approach this text that way. We're going to go line by line, verse by verse. And my goal is not to persuade you about a set of ideas and theological commitments that I'm bringing to you, but rather for you to take up this text this morning. The most important sermon that happens on Sunday is not what happens on this stage with the pastor with the preacher, But the sermon that's taking place between your mind and your heart and God's word in your lap. You're probably not going to remember. You probably don't remember uh, more than two of the sermons that you've heard in 2019 so far. And so what matters is what you hear from God as, as I seek and as, as preachers seek to facilitate the close study of his word. So that's how we're going to approach it. I'm going to have um, four areas of observation and questions um, that I'm going to raise. But I want to sumo land just like big old fat sumo wrestler just right on this fourth question. And so if you're taking notes, you can go ahead and get started. Observation number one about this text is that this is a Charlie Brown passage. You guys know what I mean by that? It's... You guys know the voice of Linus when you hear the Christmas story. Like it's okay in 2019 to read scripture on TV if it's in the voice of Linus. And here's my fear about Charlie Brown passages. Is that we would sleepwalk through this part of the Bible. Because it's such a big part of our collective cultural consciousness. That we would think that this is... Um, A passage of scripture that we're inoculated to, that doesn't pose a threat to disrupt our lives. And so as American Christians in particular, for these types of passages, our first interpretive move has to be that we see this passage, that we commit to see this passage with different eyes. That we begin to hear this passage with different ears so that we could bury this passage deep in our minds and deep in our hearts. That's our first move. Number two, this is a good Bible study question. So when you're at Life Group tonight, and by the way, like the sermon at the church at Nolensville is like part one of two, which is Life Group is the continuation of this discussion where you guys get around in a living room and continue to study God's word together uh, tonight. So these, number two is great for Life Group. Question is, who do we meet in this passage? Now, off the bat, most of what we see in this passage uh, it's a lot of names and a lot of places. Um, we meet God. We have to answer the question, who is God? We don't have time to, I don't have time to do the doctrine of God in, in 15 seconds. So you're going to do that in life group tonight. Who is the angel Gabriel that came to Mary? The Bible assumes that we know stuff about angels when we come to the gospel of Luke. Um, and, and it also assumes that we might know an angel named Gabriel. Who is Mary? Who is Joseph? Who is David? Who is Jacob? There are all these names in the Bible, and part of Bible study is uh, reading this passage in context. We've got to go back and do some work. Um, And we're going to do a little bit of that with this third question. Number three, what is happening in this passage? What's the action of this passage? Now, um, the Gospels are interesting because the context of the Gospels is a period of Like 400 years of silence from God. The close of the Old Testament, the silence of God, and then the coming of Christ. That's the before and the after. And so when we show up on the scene here in Luke chapter 1, and we hear all this stuff about Gabriel and about God and about David, some of these names are in the Old Testament, but who in the world is Mary and who in the world is Joseph? Well, the, the text gives us a few, a few clues. We know that, um, that Joseph and Mary are engaged to be married. Their marriage is not yet consummated, so she's definitely not uh, pregnant yet when she uh, hears about this news about her life. And so, relatively speaking, these are strangers from nowhere who are planning everything about their future right now, and you guys know what this feeling is like, those of you who are married, that this season of life is one that your heart can relate to because there's so many questions about this season of life. There's so much uncertainty. There's questions like, where are we going to live? How are we going to make money? When are we going to have children? Can we have children? Are we going to enjoy the life that we build together? And so you can imagine how it might feel if in that season of life, someone that's an angel shows up to you and in that moment told you answers to those questions of what your future was going to hold. And so the action in this passage is a couple who are struggling to believe in their future together and who are now faced with a message that challenges everything that they've been holding on to so far. Because you can bet their plan was not for Mary to give birth to the Savior of the world. They had other plans. They had a down payment on some other house, right? And this is, this is the question that I want to sumo land on. Question four. Why is Mary so afraid? And this is, this is why I think we just fly past this stuff when we treat the Bible like, like it's a Charlie Brown episode. Why is Mary afraid? Well, look at it. She she says that she's deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greediness could be because of all the reasons that I just said. She and Joseph were in the mode of planning a life together. Put yourself in her shoes. Put yourself in his shoes. Wouldn't you be deeply troubled if instead of doing whatever you have planned for your life, someone shows up and tells you something different? I also think that This is the normal pattern of Scripture. So when God's word comes to a person, what usually happens? When either God's voice comes to a person or when a messenger from God brings a message to a person. Um, When we look through Scripture, we see things like they're afraid. God's people are scared. They wonder. They are in awe, literally awesome is a great word that actually means something um, when you see someone confronted with the voice of God. The Bible says that sometimes their hearts melted, that they fell down on the ground face first, that they would respond by weeping. And why do they respond that way? Well, God's word is powerful. It's with God's voice that he, Genesis 1, created everything that we see. The book of Genesis suggests maybe that, that he sung The trees and the water and the cosmos into existence with words. So God's word is powerful. In in Psalm twenty-three, verses three through five, look at, listen to what uh, what it says. It says, "The voice of the Lord is above the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord above the vast water." the voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord in splendor. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. So, so it makes sense that the normal human response would be fear. That God's word is so powerful that it's normal that we would fear awesome displays of that kind of power. So let me ask a personal question of us of our family, have you ever been troubled by the word of God? Have you ever had that kind of anticipation in your heart when the word of God came to you? And if so, when was the last time that happened in your life? And if not, why not? These are the questions I'm asking myself. I, I believe that we have a crisis in our churches when it comes to the issue of biblical literacy. I do not think we, as a generation of people, as I've said, know the Bible. We do not know the Word of God. And some of you are probably thinking, how can you say that? We come to church every week and we hear the Bible preach. I do too. What I'm saying is that even those of us who are at church don't know the Bible as well as we think we do because we're always pretending. I was, I'll give you an example. I was traveling um, for work, and I went to a large church in Texas. And the pastor of this church is like mega celebrity pastor preacher that you're probably all going to listen to his podcast later because you're like, I didn't really get a great sermon at church today, so I'm going to go download his sermons, which is great. I'm going to do that too. Um, and th- This sanctuary is like 3,000 seats. And it was filled with people who all had seminary degrees, like Masters of Divinity and Ph.D. and Biblical Studies. These were not lay people in the room. And a Bible teacher stood up from their church. She, she teaches uh, women's Bible studies for the church. And she stood up in a, in a group of mostly men, and she said to them, let's do something fun. Let's have a pop quiz. Like, nobody feels great about a pop quiz at church, Right? Like You guys feel bad when I say pop quiz, but we're going to have a pop quiz too. I thought, hey, why not? Um, we did to do 20 questions. We'll just do 10 this morning. So play along. Get, a, get like a pen to test yourselves or like get your phone and like write this down. We're going to do 10 questions, lightning speed. This is what happened to me, so I'm going to make it happen to you. All right, here's, here's 10 questions on the Bible to illustrate a point. Question one, name the first three Israelite kings. Just three. There's more than three in the Bible, but name name the, the first three. Question two, easy one, where did Jesus grow up? Question number three, who moved from Ur to a country he did not know? Who moved from Ur to a country he did not know? Some of you guys are getting so excited and you were like those kids in school. Um, question four, what were the occupations of Cain and Abel? The occupations of Cain and Abel, our friends in the book of Genesis. Question five, halfway mark. Who prophesied, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. in, in kids who were in the first service... Y'all should know this. There's a beautiful Bible teacher teaching about this prophet. It's my wife, just to be clear. Um, question six How many books are in the Bible? Plus, for this to be a full answer, need to have how many in the Old Testament and how many in the New Testament. Question seven home stretch. How many years of famine did Joseph prophesy to Pharaoh? How many years of famine did Joseph prophesy to Pharaoh? Question eight. What is the name of Joseph's youngest son? Question nine. What was Noah's first act when he emerges from the ark? The last question's an easy one. Who made the golden calf? Now in the first service I already had like. Some people criticized me because they were like, you didn't give us the answers. It's like, yeah, that's the point. Um, but ask yourself, like, how did you do? Like, how many of you would say, I crushed all 10 of those? Zero questions wrong. Zero questions wrong. Like, lot, yeah, no hands going up. And what happened when I was in, in Dallas uh, was in a room full of Bible experts, nobody got them all right. Which is like a little disconcerting that the professional Christians didn't know all this Bible trivia. And, and the, the point is not Bible trivia. For some reason, we have so much pride when it comes to admitting that we don't know everything at the Bible. And I'd be the first to say that I didn't get all the questions right on this quiz. And I've graduated from seminary. I have those degrees. We th- even without thinking, we condemn ourselves. And we assume that it means we're a bad person. In our culture, especially those of us who have grown up in the Southeast, um, we, we think that this says something about us that we don't know everything. But what is the cost of pretending that we don't know everything about the Bible? I think that that is far more costly than losing a little bit of face. The scary thing to me is not that we don't know Bible trivia. The scary thing to me is that we are so prideful that we aren't even allowing ourselves the grace to even try to study the Bible, and we are not allowing ourselves to even try to learn. And so the study isn't happening, and the learning isn't happening simply because of our pride. And I believe that some of us are never afraid the way that Mary was afraid because we're never hearing the voice of God In his word. Mary heard the word of God and she was afraid. I think there's this concept of the fear of God in the Bible. And a reasonable question to ask is Is it good to be afraid of God? Isn't fear a bad thing? Well, I I think, um, write this down. I think there's two types of fear in the Bible fear of God will save your life. Fear of man will ruin your life. Fear of God will save your life and fear of man will ruin your life. I think the Bible distinguishes between these two types of fear. And to help you try to distinguish between these two types of fear, I'll say this. The fear of man will drive you to be controlled by the opinions of others. But the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of man will paralyze you from doing something brave. The fear of God will push you to take a leap of faith. The fear of man will tempt you to believe temporary pleasures will satisfy you. The fear of God is the inner confidence that you have that there are deeper pleasures than those that have never satisfied you in the first place. The fear of man will destroy many times literally your life because you live for the acceptance of others. But the fear of God will literally save your life because you will finally have the acceptance that you have always wanted, that you've always longed for from your Creator. Look at what Scripture says. When we pick back up this passage, what does the angel say to her in verse 30? The angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Jesus will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary was wrestling between the fear of man, my hopes, my dreams, my plans, and the fear of God, that I can have the confidence that God's best is better than my best. And so first, God's messenger comforts Mary's anxiety and says, do not be afraid. Why? Because you found favor with God. How's that? Well, you're going to be the means by which literal salvation for all people, including you, Mary, is going to be brought to humanity for all time. This is the first gospel, the first good news announcement in the gospel of Luke. In this passage, Gabriel saying to Mary, remember that promise in Genesis 3 that God made, the serp- made to the serpent? And he said, there's going to be hostility, Genesis 3, between Eve's offspring and your offspring, Satan. And he, Jesus, will strike your head. That promise, Mary, is being fulfilled today. Today. So the message of Christmas, the message of Advent, the message of Gabriel is the message of the word of God coming To God's people. It's a message of salvation coming in the form of a crisis pregnancy. But it's not one of those unplanned pregnancies. This is a pregnancy that was planned before the foundations of the world were laid. And here's what I think is going on in the room of every church every week. I think that we're in a crisis of faith just like Mary. I think the Word of God has come to us, I think it comes to us. Every time we open it, and we preach it. And we, like Mary and Joseph, are all holding on to dreams that we think are the absolute best path for our future. That's just what we do. We're planners. We're dreamers. And we are just like Mary and Joseph in this passage because we have the financial dreams, the career plans, the family plans. We have ambitions. And then something as powerful as the Word of God really gets into our hearts. When that happens, we begin to panic. We panic because it's difficult to to believe that the dreams that God has for our lives are better than the dreams that we have for ourselves. And so that feeling, that anticipation, feeling starts to sneak up on us and it starts to bother us. And for a lot of us, we try to avoid that feeling. Well, what happens if you were to give in to that feeling? If you were to give in and to believe God's word for your life. Well, if you go down to verse 45 in Luke 1, God's word tells us, it says, blessed is she who has believed that the word, that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. God's word makes this claim about itself, that you can trust it, that you can build a successful life. Maybe not successful based on what your feelings are telling you, about what the world is telling you. But the word of God is knocking on our heart when we hear it. I believe that in every church, every seat, in churches all across the country, there are those that sit here week after week after week, deeply troubled. They have that deeply troubled feeling that Mary had, that something is not right, that there's something more, that there's something better on the horizon, and we've never had the courage to face it. And we've never felt like we had the opportunity to act on it. We've never had the space or the margin in our lives to do that kind of business with God. That feeling, that anticipation, is the feeling of God's Word offering us salvation. It's actually offering us better dreams than we can dream. But we treat it like it's a threat that God might mess it all up. So we stay in our seats and we resist the push. We resist that feeling. We resist belief. That's what we're doing when we resist God's call. And it's hard to believe when you're afraid. And I get that because I struggle with fear of man all the time. That my dreams and my life. But I think this is common. We can find a lot of encouragement. This is common to everybody. There are patterns to our unbelief. So for example, here's some common patterns of those of us who are struggling to believe as we wrap up. Some of us struggle to believe I'm a sinner in need of a savior because rather we believe we're a good person and everything's fine. Some of us struggle to believe that God created the world because we struggle to understand how to reconcile science and divine revelation That's really common. Some of us struggle to believe that God's plan for marriage and sexuality is a good design and it's good for people. Some of us are afraid that that makes us a bigot or less than in society. Some of us struggle to believe that God is good in an evil world. We don't understand why God would allow evil things to happen. Some of us struggle to believe that God is for you and not against you, that God cares about your circumstances, that life following Jesus will be as fun as living for your own interests, ambitions, and goals. And some of us struggle to believe that we can be successful while following Jesus. And what we want to do this morning and what we want to do every week at the church at Nolansville, is to create space for those who are wrestling with deep spiritual fear, that comes to all of us when we hear the word of God. And I think we have a choice. We can fear man and we can fear God, but we can't do both at the same time. Blessing, the kind that Mary received with the advent of the very first gospel announcement, is available only to those who would believe. And what I'm here to do today is to plead with you That if you hear yourself in this message, that if the sermon in your seat is telling you that that's me, I hear myself in this story, would be that today would be the day that as we worship together with one more song, that you would just pray a simple prayer, God, what do you want to do with my life? And rather than hold on, and rather than clinging to what you think is best for your life, to surrender to God and say, I'm giving my life over to you, because I believe, like Mary, that your dreams for me are better than my dreams. I think that everybody has a next step, whether you're a Christian or not. I think for some people in the room, there's a major decision that you've been avoiding, and you know what that is, and I don't. I think for some of you, there's a major relationship change that needs, that needs to happen, there needs to be reconciliation, or there's, there's relationships in, in the dark that need to stop. And you know it, and God knows it. But you've never had the courage or the space to do anything about it. And I think that evil thrives in the dark. And I think that flourishing only happens in the light. And if you want what's best for your life, then we've got to walk together as a church into the light. And we've got to take those next steps. So in this room, what we're going to do next is I'm going to be here. And I'm going to be praying and asking God the same question that I'm asking of you. God, what do you want with my life? My yes is on the table. You put it on the map. I believe that God has brought us here to do work with him. And so during this next song, that's what we're going to do. I believe what the scripture says in Luke 1, Jesus will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. And like Mary, I believe we'll be blessed if we believe this word. The gospel is true. Let me pray for you. God, we need you. We are so deceived. We think we know what's best for us. Because of what our feelings are telling us. Because of intellectual problems that we don't have sorted out yet, God. But I pray that this church would be a sanctuary for searchers. God, that we would do business with you when we worship. And that we would take bold next steps. For those that have never taken the first step to beginning life as a Christian, that if today would be the day that they would first believe that they would celebrate that this morning, that they would ask God to exchange their life and their dreams for his life and his dreams. And God, I pray for the Christian who is just stuck in a desert, that you would lead them with the first step out of the sand. God, meet us here right now. Meet us here. With your spirit, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.